Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. Well, Drew, it is hard to believe, but we are recording this podcast in August. We are less than two weeks from the case release. Uh, last season feels like it ended yesterday. We've had so many exciting <laughs> things that have been going on over the summer. So many really interesting things to talk about. Uh, as you and I always say, this is one of our favorite episodes of the year because we get to talk about the board meeting. I was there in Denver a couple weeks ago uh, and can sort of give a report of how things went. We will get to all of that in just one second, of course, but we've got one or two other things to chat about. And the first thing is I know very recently you had a couple of students who went through the process and competed at Gladiator, uh, which is sort of the high school equivalent of trial by combat. It doesn't happen over 24 hours, but it's a one-on-one national championship. Uh, So give us the rundown. How did Gladiator go for y'all this year? Yeah, so Gladiator was honestly such a fun weekend and whole month leading up to it. Uh, we had a really great time doing it. It was a really fun case. They had a couple of fun exhibits that were interesting to put on demonstratives. Uh, they also had a video exhibit that got played in pretty much every trial. And I can attest that by the end of the tournament, all of my kids had it completely memorized um, down to the intonation of how the girl was saying it. But it was a fun case um, and they really enjoyed doing it. And I just want to call them out because I could not be prouder of these kids. So I had three different students competing from two schools. Um, I had a student from Georgia who went to the high school that I attended, Galloway School. His name is Owen Stone. He's a rising senior and he was a absolute powerhouse out there, did an amazing job. He probably knows rules of evidence better than I do. Um, and he <laughs> ended up with a what was called a winning record, meaning that he had more overall checks than his opponents did. Um, he didn't get an honorable mention or anything, but he did have more checks than not. So I'm super proud of him. My other two competitors are both from Massachusetts from my Groton team. Um, and that was Jasmine Garcia and Jacinta Lopez. I think what I want to say about the two of them is that prior to this year, neither of them had ever been an attorney in a real mock trial round. They had scrimmaged before with my my team from the year before, but this was their first year actually being attorneys. And both of them were in the like high, high final rounds of round four. Now they didn't win those two, so they weren't they didn't move on to the semis, but similarly, they had more checks than they didn't. And they were, you know, among the top 20 or so uh, going into that final round, which I just could not be more proud of. And again, the progress that they've shown is amazing and so cool as a coach to be a part of. Now, enough of me ranting about my kids because I, I really am proud of them and they did an amazing job. And thanks to all of their second chairs and parents and everyone that gave their time to help out. Um But I want to talk about the Gladiator tournament specifically, um, really briefly. There's something that they do. Obviously, they have the whole checkmark system that's different. But there's something that Justin does with their judges that I I wish we and Amta would do. And that is that he averages scores um, throughout all the judges so that you can have a different number of judges in one courtroom than another and it not really affect the overall structure of the tournament. So what I mean by that is that in one of my students' rounds, they had four judges scoring. In another round, they only had three. And ordinarily in AMTA, we would think that's a problem because then, you know, there's a potential to win four ballots from one round and only three from another. 
But if you just use a little bit of math and you just increase the value of those three judges' ballots in the three-judge round, then it works out just fine and there's no real difference. But what is nice about this is that it then allows you to have more overall input. And I always think that more judges will provide for more accuracy instead of just wasting judges or, or deciding that you are going to throw out a couple of ballots. Um, and I apologize for the length of this rant, but the reason why I bring this up is because we're about to talk about one last time in a second, but one last time did the flip of this where they were throwing out judges' ballots. And I know that the two rounds that I judged, my ballots got thrown out, and I'm like, what the heck? Like, why was I there? Why did I judge this if we're throwing out those ballots just because my round happened to have more judges scoring it than other rounds did? So... I think it's silly. I think we should always use as many judges as we possibly can. And I think specifically, we should try to just average out the scores and it'll be fine. And and you can figure out just doing a little bit of math to make it all work out just fine. Um, so again, thank you to Justin for a wonderful, amazing tournament. Uh, I hope that we can take lessons from that. Um, and again, congratulations to my students. They did an amazing, amazing job. And it was so much fun to be a part of. Yeah. So here's my just my quick thought on the you know topic related to ballots is I think it kind of goes towards like kind of a thing that's unspoken in, in AMTA right now. And that has to do with how much sort of, I don't know if power is the right word, but how much ability that AMTA reps have if we talk specifically about AMTA tournaments, um, especially this past year to kind of judge like, which ballots should count and which shouldn't. Mm -hmm. One of the things, and I saw it mentioned on a few different forums this past year, uh, was, you know, in a lot of AMTA tournaments, especially at regionals, there were way more judges than ballots that counted, uh, which I think fundamentally is a good thing. Having, you know, more judges is, is fine. But there were scenarios behind the scenes, and I saw this when I was sitting in tab rooms, where you would have a particular judge who came in who just kind of exhibited behavior that made it clear that really their ballot shouldn't count. Uh, this year, a lot of times it was just obviously a fundamental inability to function in the online system. Uh, in in-person years, I imagine it's just things like, you know, either making inappropriate remarks, which is a whole different thing, or just like, you know, just kind of obviously not understanding this activity and, and asking questions in a way that makes it clear that they really weren't paying attention or, or something like that. And there's there's some degree of discretion behind the scenes for, okay, well, you know, which of these ballots should count? Obviously, there's AMTA rules that dictate sort of the order of the judges in terms of priority. But, you know, the AMTA reps have some degree of flexibility there in extreme cases. So I think without getting too far down a rabbit hole, I'm intrigued by what you're saying. I don't necessarily think I agree with it because I think there's a lot of questions that it would raise. and you know, I don't want to end up in a situation where we end up counting low quality ballots when right now we have a system where we may be able to sort of get rid of those low quality ballots, which I think benefits everyone, no matter how those would have come out. Um, especially when you get those ballots that just really wouldn't add anything because it's someone who didn't really like participate in their role as a judge in the way that we envision it. But I will say, I think it's completely reasonable for you as a mock trial alum 
who judged two rounds and didn't have their ballot count to be frustrated. I would be frustrated too. I'd be very irritated because uh, I gave up all this time. And we, I think, kind of rely on the fact that the judges whose ballots we usually don't count probably don't have the know-how of how this activity works to have any understanding that their ballot uh, didn't count. So it raises an interesting question. And certainly, I think these are the types of tabulation questions that we should talk about more because I think the more that we think about having uh, modifications to our system to improve the way we do things, it's going to make everything better. You know, one thing I do just want to clarify on this note, though, I actually don't think that I disagree with your general point of, you know, we should maybe be willing to have some discretion regarding which ballots we use. I think it'd be really cool if, you know, it started becoming a little more normalized to after a round happens when comments are, are occurring and a judge makes a comment that just throws up red flags to both teams, whether it's a comment like, wait, who was the defendant again? Or, um, you know, comments about dress, attire, whatever. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about when there's a judge that makes a comment that just is problematic. And I would hope that we can reach a point where both teams can then go to the tab room and say, hey, you know, judge so-and-so said something that we just – both sides agree that this judge just their ballot shouldn't count. But that goes to my point that then, okay, the way ANTA tournaments normally go, they usually don't have extra ballots around that they could then, okay, well, now we're going to use this other ballot. They would normally say, well, we have nothing we can do about that because we need, you know, three judge ballots in this round. We have three and all the other ones. I would say, okay, well, if we both agree this judge was a problem, let's just use the two that we have and increase their value by one and a half so that we basically have a third ballot. And I'd rather have that than a third terrible ballot. But my my larger point with this is just we should be willing to have different judge, you know, a different number of judges in other rounds. And instead of just cutting it off and doing the bare minimum that we were able to get, we should just use as many judges as we were able to have. And then again, if, if we need to scale back, you, you cut back on a few. But I, I want to also move on a little bit from One Last Time and, and Gladiator and talk about kind of what we have upcoming. And both Ben and I have some pretty big changes going on uh, for both of us. Uh, the first one that I'll mention um, for myself is that I'm going to be starting law school at Tulane. I'm really excited about this, but I just wanted to be kind of candid with all of our listeners that um, this is a, a big time commitment that I'm going into and I'm expecting that both of us are going to have to scale back a little bit how quickly we put out uh, you know, our podcast episodes. I think our goal is to try to still do around one a month or so, but I just wanted to give people a heads up as to why that's happening. Um, for those of you that haven't gone to law school yet, if you ever decide you're going to, you'll probably hear from everyone what I've been hearing, which is the first year really sucks and is really hard. So I'm trying to plan ahead for that, but I just wanted to mention to everyone um, that that is kind of coming up for me and that we may be scaling that back a little bit. So to not be alarmed if you don't hear from the podcast for a few weeks, um, that that's what we're doing. But Ben also has some really um, exciting news going on. So I'll, I'll pass it back to you, Ben, if you want to talk about that. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess mine's probably a little bit less exciting. I'll, I'll say really quick on on what you were just saying. Our plan is uh, we're going to do our case release episode like we always do. We'll release that in a couple weeks. And then for the next month or two, we may not put out an episode in part just because there's not a whole lot that's happening. Like, you know, the episode would be everybody's prepping the case. You know, it's there's just not a ton that happens in the community from like mid-August to mid-October. Uh, but we'll have a ton of invitational results to break down you know, getting into early November, and I'm sure we'll jump back in your feeds and find 45 minutes to talk about those at, at some point. Um, but yeah, as we record this, it's the week of August 2nd, and uh, I've officially started full-time at Maryland. Uh, I, this past Monday was my first day as, you know, the full-time director of trial advocacy, uh, and I'm just, it's it's so cool. It's so you know, it's, it's, this is like the classic case of letting the thing you love the most becoming your job. And I just, I can't express how excited I am. And, and I won't go into a ton of detail on it yet in part, just because there's not a ton to talk about, but it has been, you know, really cool to wake up every morning. I live just a couple blocks from Maryland law and to wake up and to walk over there and to get some work done from the building that, you know, was the home for me when I learned a lot of my trial ad skills and uh, I'm just incredibly excited for for what the future holds because I think that it's a just really a dream come true in terms of that job opportunity. And I can't, you know, wait to sort of get going. The students will be back on campus in just a couple of weeks, and everything this fall for law school is virtual. We're doing five competitions, and they're all virtual. But the classes are back in person, so I get to teach in person and meet most of my trial ad students for the very first time. Uh, so I think it's going to be a really great semester. And I mean, it, it's so cool and so exciting that you're going to get to do this, Ben. I think that I speak for everyone when I say that you're going to do a great job and we have the utmost faith in you. If there was anyone that I, you know, if I was in that position and needed to find a trial ad director, I would choose you too. Um, but uh, look, I, I've, as we were saying, we both have these really cool things that we have going on and we're going to do everything we can to stay in your feeds as much as possible. But, you know, this is our, our brief moment to kind of update you all on what's going on in our lives. Uh, <laughs> before we get to the board meeting, um, I mentioned one last time before, I do think we should quickly touch on it. Uh, probably not going to do a, a full episode dedicated to it. So we're just going to talk about it really quickly. Um, the winning team was uh, Will Wilson of Tufts. Alberto Aravalo of NYU, Michael Zhu of Northwestern, as well as Jacob Jordan from Northwestern, and then Sahil Nurkur, I think I'm pronouncing that right, I hope I'm not butchering it, um, of Chicago. Uh, that team of five um, absolutely dominated the field. I actually got to see them in their second round, and they really, really were spectacular. Um, they were very, very strong. But uh, I, I watched the first two rounds, and... Uh, like I said, I saw them. I also saw the UMass Amherst team, um, and I thought they were quite strong. But overall, um, I definitely will say that I, I didn't think I, I don't think I was overwhelmed with uh, with many teams. Um, again, I do think that you know, at watching that final round, uh, I thought that those two teams both looked very, very strong. But Ben, I know you judged a few rounds as well, so I'll, I'll throw it to you. What, what do you kind of think of the tournament and what you saw? Well, I just judged, judged one round. I judged round three, and I think I had um, the Amherst team and a by bus team. Mm. Uh, and it was it was a decent round. The Amherst team was good. Uh, they, you know, they were some of the same people that we saw when we hit them at Orcs, uh, and they were very talented. And I thought they did a really nice job. 
the buy bus team I saw was pretty good. Uh, there were a couple competitors that stood out to me. I messaged a, a coach of one of the competitors I saw just to say that, cause the buy bus team is not all seniors. Um, mm. and so just say, Oh, this person's pretty good. I haven't seen them before. Uh, but yeah, it was fun. I, I think my really only, I think I really just have two quick thoughts on this tournament. The first one is, you know, this is the second year in a row with one last time with it happening twice that we've seen, you know, I don't want to use the phrase super team. I will say last year's winner was pretty close to a super team. <laughs> I think this year is a little bit less that way, but the team that won one last time went undefeated in the prelims and only lost one ballot in the final round. And I think sort of on paper, they were pretty clearly the best team at this tournament. So if this is going to continue, uh, I don't think nothing, I don't think anything needs to change, but it will be interesting to see from a parody perspective. Okay. Uh, is this the type of tournament where every year, if it happens, it's going to be one team of of very experienced people who pretty clearly uh, dominate the field? That being said, and I kind of expressed this on our last episode, I think it's pretty cool, and I think they should keep doing it. I think it's the type of thing that uh, it's a virtual tournament, so it requires very little infrastructure, comparatively speaking, to in-person tournaments. And if there's continued interest and it takes a... a you know, a moderate amount of resources to do. Uh, I think it's a cool thing to kind of wrap up the summer and these students get this opportunity to kind of do mock trial one last time to, <laughs> to dip their toes back into this world before they head off into whatever's next. And, you know, and it was neat to sort of jump back into the community for, for just one second. So I see no reason not to keep doing it. If people continue to be interested, I am skeptical as to how much interest there will be after an in-person season to go mm -hmm. back to a virtual competition, especially in a couple of years when some of the virtual knowledge base has maybe moved on. Mm -hmm. But that being said, I, I, it doesn't hurt to ask, right? It doesn't hurt to check and see if there's interest. So those are my thoughts on it. I uh, watched portions of the final round. I thought the team that won uh, clearly was the best team uh, in the tournament from what I saw. So congratulations to them and congrats to AMTA on putting together another successful tournament. Yeah, I think that to to the point that you were making, Ben, I do think it's a cool thing to have. I also think it's just fun to get to compete with people outside of your program. I think that so much of this activity, you get to make friends and you meet people and you network and I think that's a really cool aspect of this that is kind of not always ever given an opportunity outside of like the national socials that happen um, to ever really occur. I also think that to that point that I was just making, though, I think part of the problem and the reason these super teams exist is that the only real time that mock trialers get to interact with people from other programs tends to be nationals. Like, I mean, sure, if you, if you, there may be two programs that have a really good relationship that scrimmage together all the time that are close by, but, you know, Tufts, NYU, Northwestern, and Chicago, um, sure, like Northwestern and Chicago are pretty close together, but Tufts and NYU, they're not, you know, driving down to each other to scrimmage. They're definitely not, you know, going all the way out to the Illinois, uh, Chicago area to, to scrimmage these teams. They know each other because, they go to nationals and they all go to the same tournaments and they see each other all the time. And so I think that this super team development that you're talking about is kind of inevitable just because those are the people that know each other. And if you're not coming from a really established program that routinely goes to nationals or the other elite tournaments, you never get the opportunity to meet these people and become friends with them to form that type of team. So 
I'm not surprised that it exists. I'm not surprised that it continues to be successful. And I don't necessarily think that that's a reason why we shouldn't do it. But I do think it would be cool to open it up either to younger students and make it more of just an open, like whoever wants to do it can do it um, type of thing or open it up to maybe alums. I know that I was talking with a bunch of other of uh, alums and my friends that were kind of watching some of the rounds together. And we were all like, oh my God, it would be so much fun if we could all get to compete and do this together. Um, I will say that the interest seems to have dwindled a little bit from the first year. Like my understanding is that there were 12 teams competing this year. And again, my understanding is that three of them were by bus teams, um, two of which were formed kind of before the uh, the weekend where they have been kind of, you know, placed together um, because a team dropped out. But if we only really have nine teams that were truly interested um, in coming together and forming a team, I don't know that that feels like a large enough pool to really continue to do this because I agree with you, Ben, that once we have in-person tournaments, I think that number will get even smaller. So I think they need to either widen their pool of people that want to do this or um, or change something about it uh, if we're going to continue doing it. But I agree that I don't see any express reasons not to. Um, and I do hope that it, it actually encourages people to have more social um, interactions and chances to build friendships, whether it's through buy busting or, or just, you know, grabbing dinner with a team before a invite, um, just chances to meet more people and, and widen the community. Cause I think that that's super cool and, and something that I wish more people got a chance to interact with. Yeah. There's a lot of sort of intriguing cross sections in, in this particular question and I don't have any great answers, but I think it's something where it's just worth Amta monitoring how much interest there is. Because, yeah, there's pretty clearly less interest. Now, that's sort of obvious given that we finished the season. But when we get back to in-person, it will be interesting to see if this is something that kind of uh, goes away a little bit. Uh, all of that said, I think we've talked about other things enough, and we can go ahead and get to the board meeting. Let's do it. So, uh, like I mentioned earlier in the show and have mentioned on earlier episodes, I had the opportunity to travel to Denver a couple of weeks ago to uh, be there live for the AMTA board meeting. I think I would say about four-fifths of the board was present there live. I think there were maybe 30-some people in the room, maybe you know 28 or 29 or something like that. And then I think there were seven or eight folks who participated uh, virtually who either didn't feel comfortable or weren't able to, to come out live or, or something like that. Uh, it was a really great opportunity to be there. Candidly, it was just really wonderful to see a lot of those folks uh, who I've gotten to know over the years and, and consider to be uh, friends and just people that I really look up to and respect. Um, got to uh, run into, uh, knock on wood, the Honorable Toby Heightens. Uh, you know, <laughs> hopefully, you know, before too long, he'll be uh, confirmed as a judge and, and got to chat with Justin Bernstein and just all kinds of folks. So uh, what was so interesting about this year's board meeting is... Not a lot happened. Uh, <laughs> aside from the main conversation about the format of next year's competitions, which we're going to get into in just one second, uh, there wasn't a ton of other substantive content, at least that happened where I was able to see it. So let me make one point about the way that the board meeting is run, and then we can get into a conversation about the format of, of next year and the decision that was made. Uh, this point that I want to make is not a new one. Uh, I'll sort of preface it by saying that <laughs> it's not something that anyone who's listened to this podcast for a few years will be surprised about. Uh, it is absurd that the only way that the broader AMTA community knows 
any details about what happened at the board meeting aside from the actual decisions that were made is because of me. Um, I'm just <laughs> some guy. Like I just, I happen to know how to use a microphone and I became friends with Drew and that's why we're here. Um, this meeting should be live streamed. Uh, it was already on Zoom. Like there was already a cohort of the board that was on Zoom. It should be live streamed. That live stream, unlike last year, should stay available for people to watch it whenever they want. And if there is something that can't go on a live stream, it can just go to executive session like it already does. You know, I was essentially the only non-board member there. I think uh, Tammy Doss was was there as well. Um, but like in terms of non-AMTA people, whether they're employees or board members, I was the only one there. and they moved a bunch of stuff to executive session that clearly they'd been planning to do anyways. Fine. I have other thoughts on that, but, but setting that aside, it's just bizarre to me. And, and I'll finish this up by saying the reason I think that is because now this was now, if you count the virtual one, two years ago, the fifth meeting in a row that I've been to, and there is nothing that is discussed in these meetings that is not fit for public consumption. I'm sure some of the stuff in executive session is, and that's why it's in executive session. But candidly, I thought that the discussion around the format for next year, both in the TAC meeting that I attended in the morning and the broader board meeting was uh, deliberative and incisive and uh, very sensitive to all of the concerns that were raised. I was impressed by what I saw, and it does a disservice to the broader community when they don't get to hear any of that. And the only reason that they're hearing about any of it at all is because I spent my money to fly out to the board meeting and sit there in the room. Uh, so I will finish this by saying I will commend some of the things that have been done. There was uh, comments that were solicited before the meeting. Uh, the minutes, of course, or, or the, the agenda was put out and, and there was an email address that you could email. And then Amtis communication staff is live tweeting, put out a Facebook summary right after. Fantastic. I genuinely think, and I'm not trying to sort of say that as an as a like an aside, I really truly think that those things are great. They can do more. Uh they can they can do more. They should do more. Uh and that is my first thought before we get into the substance of the conversations about the experience I had at the meeting itself. Yeah, I mean I, I won't rehash everything that Ben said, but it, it just truly doesn't make sense. If it's meant to be public, just make it public and don't make a wall of money preventing people from getting the information that they need. And I think that especially in a year like this, when it is so important for people to understand what AMTA is thinking, why are we, you know, making the decisions that we are? And, and frankly, it will make people feel better. Oh, the question that I raised actually got discussed or, Oh, the, the letters that I've written got read and discussed. Like, wouldn't that be something they would want to promote that they're doing? Like it really does confuse and baffle me that they don't want to show that off more. But um, that being said, uh, I think that everything you said, Ben, I totally agree with. And I will let you continue on with what you've found to be the main takeaways from this board meeting. Yeah. So uh, let me start with, you know, the way the board meeting works for I'm guessing the vast majority of you who've never been to one is in the morning. Um, there are different committee meetings. Now, some of those committee meetings, like the case committee, are not open to the public, which is understandable. But uh, 
committees like TAC, Tournament Administration, or the Rules Committee, or Development, or I'm on the New School Mentorship Committee. So they have these individual meetings, and anyone's allowed to go to them. So I usually just kind of pick the one that I think is going to be the most interesting, and I sit in on it. Uh, and this year, that was TAC, because uh, obviously Tournament Administration is a huge part of trying to make the decisions they're trying to make. And it turned out that basically TAC came up with essentially a recommendation that they brought to the board that the board essentially adopted. Uh, and I just want to commend the people on TAC. Uh, Missy Watt is the chair. Andy Hogan is the new vice chair. And there's a lot of uh, you know folks in AMTA. Josh Leckron is on that committee. Uh, Adam Detsky is on that committee. Uh, there's a couple other uh, folks on that committee who I think really... Uh, Will Warhey, who who have done a really remarkable job this past year. And I was very encouraged by the discussion that they were having. Uh, one of the things that Missy really kept bringing people back to is they were talking about uh, the South Carolina Aiken letter, for example, that got referenced multiple times and uh, some of the other communications that were sent to them as well about how some folks aren't sure if they're going to be able to compete at an in-person regionals this year. And one of the things that Missy kept coming back to and kept steering the discussion back to is, hey, if someone wants to compete at regionals, we're going to make sure they get to compete at regionals. That's like a fundamental core belief of this organization. And, you know, we can get into sort of what the board decided to do in a little while with the possibility of having a couple of virtual regionals if necessary. But I was very encouraged by that. I thought it was really a good reflection of the values that this organization should have, that teams should be allowed to uh, compete at regionals no matter what. As uh, a regional host who for a couple years in a row now has hosted the Religious Accommodation Regional, I am 100% on board with that. We as a community need to be prepared to uh, grant and encourage accommodations as needed, both in terms of religious accommodations and this year, safety and and uh, just sort of personal well-being accommodations for the purposes of making sure that everybody gets to compete at regionals. So that was my main thought from the TAC meeting is mm -hmm. just that I thought it was a, a well thought out discussion about uh, some really sensitive issues. It was clear to me that the members of the TAC uh, committee had thought about this stuff and really came in prepared. And I think they're very well suited to make the right decisions uh, for the community. Well, I mean, I think that's good to hear. Like, that's kind of what we're all looking for is just that they are taking the time to talk about this stuff and, and figure out, okay, what can we do? How can we accommodate people? What lessons have we learned? What what have other people given us input on? And just hearing that they're discussing that is, is great to hear. And it's awesome to hear that AMTA is continuing that that mission and that primary objective and goal, um, uh, you know. Obviously, not having been there or been a part of it, just hearing you talk about it, though, that's all really encouraging to hear. And that's kind of what we would, I guess, expect from them. Um, but I, I'm, again, just wish that we could have known sooner that they had done all of that. Yeah. And, and I think the TAC meeting was another good example. You know, some of the members of that committee might disagree with me, but I didn't feel like there was anything discussed that people couldn't have listened in on. Um, and I don't know, um, you know, there were some members of TAC who were participating virtual. And I don't know if someone had emailed uh, and asked for the, you know, for the link to, to sit down on the meeting, if, if it would have been given to them. I, I would speculate that it would because they're, they're public meetings. And, and uh, you know, last year when everything was virtual, I sat in on a committee meeting in the morning that I wasn't a part of. And I just emailed it and asked for the link. 
but I, yeah, I, I just, I think it was a positive and productive discussion. There was once or twice where I thought maybe, you know, someone mentioned at one point, well, we, you know, we only got this one letter from South Carolina Aiken and there were other folks who kind of pushed back and were like, no, I mean, just because we got one letter doesn't mean there's only one team in that position. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of teams in that position. Um, Sam Jahangir from Chicago spoke up and talked about how Chicago's under travel restrictions right now. And, you know, imagine a world in which, like, you know, Chicago can't compete at regionals. Obviously, uh, every team should get to compete at regionals, but we certainly wouldn't want to prevent one of our best teams from being able to do that. So I thought it was a really positive discussion. Uh, Now, to move to the actual main discussion what happened after uh the tack meeting then there was a lunch break and then the board convened uh for what they for the afternoon meeting which is sort of the whole board meeting and they immediately went into what's called committee of the whole which under whatever rules of order they use is essentially like an ad hoc committee created by the then president or, or current still current president brandon harper uh that sort of almost deputizes the entire board into a temporary committee to have a discussion. He emphasized during the meeting that technically uh, that would mean that it's supposed to be, you know, off limits to non-board members and non-candidates, but they essentially modified the rules to allow me and the candidate members to stay. And the outcome of that discussion, I'm reading directly from AMTA's Facebook here, says AMTA is planning for an in-person 2022 competitive season or uh, competition season while developing a plans if circumstances change and b accommodations for hybrid slash online options more details will be available soon uh i'll summarize very briefly my understanding of essentially what that means uh basically from what i learned from the tac meeting is amta is going to prepare for online or for in-person competitions they're going to be contacting their hosts. They're going to be lining up those in-person, competi- in-person competitions, uh, soliciting information from teams on what restrictions they may or may not have. But they will be prepared to host sort of as many as necessary uh, virtual competitions, virtual regionals for teams that may need that type of opportunity in order to compete. It might be one, two, three, five. I don't know how many it would end up being. Uh, and then the portion of this that talks about plans if circumstances change, one of the major sentiments that was expressed during the TAC meeting that I found really interesting is basically like, yeah, we can convert to virtual like pretty easily. And so the the prevailing thought behind why this decision was made, and, and I'm going to pause in a second here, Drew, because I know I've been mm-hmm. talking for a, a while, <laughs> but I'll give you this one last sort of explanation, which is the board's overall thought process, which came from the TAC meeting was you know, we can go back to virtual pretty fast. We could probably do that in a couple of weeks if we had to. But what we can't do is, you know, switch to in-person in a short period of time. If there's a possibility that these tournaments are going to be in person, we got to start planning it now. And then if it gets to be October or November and it's clear, all right, that's not going to work. Or even if something changes in December or January, and it's obvious, all right, that's not going to work anymore. The infrastructure and the rules and the planning process already exist to host a whole bunch of virtual virtual regionals, and we can go back to that if we have to. But if we've got a chance to host in person, the thinking, from my understanding, from listening to the discussion, was we should approach with that plan, understanding that there will still be some teams who probably will need 
uh, to compete virtually. So that was a lot. Uh, Drew, I'll, I'll sort of pause and, and get your thoughts <laughs> on it. But that was the substance of how the TAC discussion kind of flowed into the main board discussion. Well, I think that the the general like sentiment that I'm hearing makes a lot of sense, right? It's It's not that hard to just say to judges, hey, instead of going to this place, just log into this Zoom meeting. And it's not that hard to say, oh, instead of going to this place, just stay where you are. Like that's not going to be tremendously difficult uh, for them to do and execute. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's kind of what it's the best we can hope for, right? I mean, that I think that we can't predict the future. Um, you know, we'll, we'll probably get into it in another episode, but obviously there have been recent developments that are changing the way that we view this. And those developments will continue to change over the next couple of months for better or for worse. We just don't know yet where we are going to be uh, come next February. And I think it's wise to say we're preparing for what we can prepare for and we're, you know, kind of still open to it. And I think that that's, I think that the one thing for me that I do struggle with, but I don't think there's a solution to this is just teams desire to practice what they're going to perform mm -hmm. in that people are going to want to know if their regionals are going to be in person or virtual so that they can have uh, their invites the same way regionals are going to be. That being said, I, I again think that there's no, there's nothing we can do about that. Like, it is what it is. If it changes, it changes, and we can't really guarantee anything. But AMTA is saying that they want it to be in person. You should try to do it in person, but there are limitations and things that we can't quite control, one of them being if this situation gets worse. Uh, so I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think it's a wise decision on AMTA's part. I'm happy with them for, for doing that and for understanding and recognizing the importance of that flexibility and that openness. Um, and I, I think it's cool that going back to the TAC discussion that they were having, um, that they're trying to be inclusive of, of programs that don't always have access to that. And um, in whatever ways that they can give those teams a chance to compete, even if everything is uh, in person, that they can still uh, compete in some form or another uh, and have access to this really great activity that we all care about so, so much. Yeah, I think you raised some interesting questions, and I agree with just the broad sentiment that you were saying. You know, as we sit and record this, of course, I don't think we're really going to get into this topic today, but things are getting worse again. And it wasn't overly shocking that that's happened, as we've all kind of gotten used to the last 15, 16 months where things kind of go up and down. Uh, but we're going to have to be prepared uh, to pivot one way or the other. And it sounds to me like the board is. Uh, one thought that I have, there was some discussion both in the TAC meeting and in the, the main board meeting about the subject of vaccines. Uh, some people raised, can we require them? Some people raised, you know, what should we say about them? Uh, I'm not going to get into any of sort of the legal wrangling about whether AMTA could require them. My sense is they probably can't if they really want everyone to be able to compete at regionals because you have some of these, uh, lunatic state legislatures who have passed laws saying that, you know, organizations that operate in their state are not allowed to require vaccines and stuff like that. And I'm sure AMTA wouldn't want to uh, prohibit those schools from participating. But, uh, and, and to be clear, that's not like, I, I could be wrong about that. I, I am not a legal expert on this topic, and maybe there's a way for them to do it. And if there's a way for them to do it, 100%, they need to do it. But 
operating under the assumption that there's not a great way for them to do it and still have everybody be able to participate. This is a, this is a messaging moment for AMTA. Uh, AMTA needs to come out and say, uh, we're not allowed to require vaccines. We recommend them in the strongest possible terms. The vaccines are safe. The vaccines are effective. The vaccines work. And just, I understand that like recommendations do very little, but AMTA and, and Brandon as president and all of the other folks who lead need to be leaders on this topic and need to put out good, helpful information uh, to just really, really encourage teams as a matter of collective morality. You know, that we pride ourselves as an organization that operates uh, on the principles of civility and justice. And one of the things that's very civil and kind to your fellow competitor is to get vaccinated so that you're much less likely to get a disease that could kill them. Uh, and setting aside uh, medical reasons for the for the small sub subset that, that may have those, and, and that's a completely different thing, and I'm not speaking about those people, but setting that aside, AMTA needs to make this a sort of a broader question of, I would argue, the spirit of AMTA, that the spirit of AMTA is that we take care of each other and we care about each other. And I think their messaging needs to be very strong and very clear about vaccines because it just this is an opportunity to live the values that we uh, say that we profess. Yeah, I don't want us to get overly political again, but I I really think that it's just this is just about keeping people safe. Like, and it, it just really does need to happen. Um, we need to encourage everyone to get it. Um, again, to your point, if, if there is a medical reason why someone can't, that's fine. And I understand that. Um, I sort of think if there is a medical reason why you can't have it, you probably really shouldn't be attending in-person tournaments right now. And that that's a tough pill to swallow. But like, if that's the case, I just, maybe I'm crazy, but I just, I think it's, then it's dangerous for you and, and you need to take care of yourself and remember that this is just a, a club fun activity and it's not worth you risking your life over. But to that same point, if we want those people to be able to compete again, we need to make sure it's safe for them. And that means that, you know, we need to make sure it's that everyone is as safe as they can possibly be. And that means getting vaccinated. I will say that I have this hope that we, as a, you know, whether it's, I mean, I wish it was the federal government does this, but just if they came out and said, oh, you want to fly? Got to have a vaccine. Start making it really, you know, unless you have a medical reason, right? But like, if we start just making it really hard to to be a functioning member of society without the vaccine or a medical reason why you can't have it. I think that that will kind of get us over this last little hump of, of people that refuse to get it um, for, frankly, selfish reasons of they're hoping that if everyone else gets it, they don't need to or that they're, you know, the wait and see folks like that's just they don't realize that it is not only extremely selfish, but it is continuing to force everyone else to pander to them and and to not be able to open up in the ways that we want to and it's really frustrating and i'm just losing my patience with it so apologies for the rant on this but my goodness like i just 
I hope by the time we get around to regionals that this stops being politicized and it can just be common sense that you should get the vaccine because it's safe and it's what you should do if you want to keep yourself and everyone around you safe. Well, you never have to apologize to me for that rant because I'm giving our audience about 20% of how I actually feel on this topic <laughs> as the son of two healthcare workers, one of whom is still dealing with still dealing with long COVID symptoms. Get your damn vaccine. Um, and, and as a member of a community that I desperately miss being in person, go get your damn vaccine. Uh, and, and that message needs to be Amtis message. They probably don't need to say, get your mm -hmm. damn vaccine, but like they need to say, go get your vaccine. Uh, and, and it's just, it's that simple. And anything less than that would be a pretty cowardly move, uh, mm -hmm. on their part and would be a, uh, sort of a capitulation to voices that we don't need to be, uh, including in this conversation. Uh, in the in the broader scheme of things on a lighter note uh <laughs> we do have some exciting news which is that we have a new president yes um and and to my understanding um that is gonna be jonathan woodward i i will just say that it, it's funny when ben ben texted me that because again i wasn't there i didn't know about it and that's a quicker way for me to get information than waiting for anything else um but i remember being struck by it because in my head i was like wait he hasn't been president yet and I was like, oh, I guess he's just been tab director for a really long time. But uh, it is it is so cool to have Jonathan Wilbur taking over as president. Um, obviously, Brandon Harper had a, a, a tough two years to be president for, but uh, has done a wonderful job. And I think that we are passing it into uh, hopefully passing it into the confident hands of someone that knows what they're doing uh, when it comes to AMTA stuff. But uh, I don't know how long the discussion was about precedent when you were there, Ben, but I, I'm happy with the result for sure. Yeah, it, it was it was a very short discussion. I will clarify, Jonathan Woodward is now president-elect. Uh, Brandon has one more year to go as president. Uh, that's the way that the AMTA elections work is, is you know, Brandon was president-elect for a year when Will was president, now has been president for a year, will be president for one more year, and then Jonathan will will take over in a year. But he ran unopposed. Uh, I did find that slightly interesting. This is the second uh, election in a row that the presidential election was unopposed. Not saying one thing or another about that, just that it's certainly interesting in a community of uh, strong voices to see that. But, I mean, Jonathan's fantastic. Everyone who's interacted with Jonathan, of course, we had him on the podcast. Uh, he's just a wonderful ambassador for this activity. Um, you know, one of the most likable, charismatic people you will ever meet. Uh, you really see that former newscaster side of him when, when you get a chance to chat with him. So I think he's going to do an amazing job. And it was obvious to me that everyone in the room was was thrilled. He he actually wasn't there. He was participating virtually. But he spoke just briefly about sort of his vision for things. And I think, uh, you know, Brandon has been a steady hand and an important leader during a very challenging time. And I feel like I don't know how Jonathan would, would feel about this, but I feel like He's going to come in, hopefully, if, if we get through this year and then everything's kind of like smooth sailing for next year, like he's going to come in and be like, oh, this isn't that hard, you know, <laughs> After like Will and Brandon have had to, you know, the, the whole world went to hell during during their tenures. But um, who knows? As a community, I'm sure we can come up with some new and exciting ways to uh, make his tenure as president eventful. Yeah. And like I said, I, I think I'm excited about it. I think that honestly, all of the people that are on the board, as much as we talk about things that we wish that they would do differently. I think as individuals, these are all people that at the end of the day really care about this community, give up so much of their time uh, to, to participate and, and to be 
actively shaping the future of it. And we don't say it enough, but it, it really does. It, it's a many times thankless job. So I do want to say thank you to all the members of the board and definitely to, to both Brandon and Jonathan for, for, you know, Brandon for stepping up in a tough time and Jonathan for taking the reins. And I hope that it's smooth sailing, as you said, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he's still, you know, going to be president elect for a unusual year and not a, a an easy one, I think, by any means of the imagination. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that it's he's a good person to take over this. And you're absolutely right that it's a thankless job. And, and these folks put in tons and tons of hours of work on top of their day jobs and family responsibilities. Uh, we've got two other motions that we want to talk about before we wrap up. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, there wasn't a ton of other substantive information uh, that was discussed during the main session. A lot of stuff happened in executive session that I assume will be covered in more detail in the minutes when they come out. But I wanted to talk about two of them. One of them is EC05, which was passed. Uh, I forget if this was passed in executive session or not. I don't think it was. But it's creating, it's given the president the authority to create a new ad hoc committee to examine current eligibility rules for potential revision at the mid-year meetings. Uh, I wanted to just briefly flag this. I don't really have anything necessarily substantive to say on it right now, but I've had conversations with a couple different members of the board, sort of like private one-on-one -on -one conversations where different folks have expressed some, I don't know if concern is the right word, or maybe some thought about modifying our eligibility rules. I've heard some sentiment people who are not huge fans of the graduate in the fall compete in the spring rule. I've heard a couple folks talk about that fifth year of eligibility rule and should we get rid of that and you should just have four years of eligibility. I don't necessarily like want to get into an opinion-related discussion on this topic right this second, but I think it's kind of something to flag. And I hope, I think the one thing I will say on this is I hope that AMTA doesn't go and make a bunch of eligibility changes at a mid-year meeting that none of the community members are able to attend. Mm -hmm. That's a broader discussion about a lot of different subjects. I think there's probably a lot of sort of uh, crossing interests in each of those uh, eligibility provisions as well as some of the other ones that exist. And I think that should be a broader discussion that the community has. I'll be very interested to see who's on this ad hoc committee and, and what work they do. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a really interesting issue. I remember feeling like it was almost, I definitely remember feeling like it was a little unfair at the time when my team is all writing our theses and, and working while we're, you know, in school and just like busy as hell and finding out that we're facing a team where like three or four of the members were had graduated already and were literally just not doing anything except for mock trial. And we were like, huh, just seems a little funny. But I also think that there are a lot of reasons why people take fifth years uh, and that there are plenty of people that are, you know, maybe graduating in the fall, but then they're just as busy and they're doing something else. And so it, it's definitely an interesting issue. I don't necessarily know that it like needs to be changed. I'm interested to see what this ad hoc committee comes up with. And I absolutely agree with you that it really would be frustrating if they said at the mid-year meeting, oh, by the way, yeah, you can't compete now um, to all those people that we're expecting to. Uh, that to me would feel really just not great and and not, I think, the point of, of AMTA's mission. But uh, I, I guess time will tell with that one for sure. Yeah, and I'd be really surprised if they, you know, made a change that affected that year. I feel like it'd be the type of thing where if they made changes, it would 
probably affect the following year. But just just a topic to flag and and to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, and then the very last one, uh, tab 01 was passed, and it revised Rule 5.32 to allow the division winner with the better record going into the national championship trial to select its side for the trial. Uh, I, of course, had read the agenda before going to the meeting, and this uh, uh, motion came up, and and a director who will remain nameless, who was sitting next to me, sort of leaned over and, and chuckled and was like, I imagine you support this motion, uh, to which I responded that, yes, I, I very much uh, do support this motion as the coach of the team that won more ballots than their opponent in the most recent national final and had the privilege of calling a random 50-50 event. Uh, Drew... I understand this is actually something we disagree a little bit on. So I'll just say that I think this motion is complete common sense. I come at it from a sports perspective, uh, you know, and this is not a shot at Yale by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, we won more ballots than Yale in the, in the first four rounds. Yeah. We had a lower CS than them. You're all shouting at your radio right now. Um, but uh, who's listening to this on a radio? Okay, you I was about, about to make that same point. Okay, <laughs> you whatever. The, the, How the, old are you? Oh my! You God. plug your, your phone into your car, and it comes out through the speakers. <laughs> and I think of that as the radio because I'm 32. But either way, uh, I think this motion makes sense. I think it's it's a logical thing. I think of it as essentially home field advantage. Uh, Drew, what do, what do you think about this one? So the reason why I disagree is because like these are two totally separate divisions and like it or not, you're facing totally different teams. There's schedule differences. I just, what I come down to is I think coming out on top of your division to me says that you're the best team in that division. It does not mean anything about whether you're better than the other team in the other division. And so I don't think that there should be any advantage given to that. And to the point that you just made, right? Like, I mean, that like they had a much higher they they had a higher cs you know we could get into like you know well which schedule was tougher like i just think that i think that when we get to it you have two division finals that that's what it should be when we talk about um sports there's some sports that do it that way there are others that that say okay well we want a, a neutral field for this final game um in a single match thing talk about football um you know, baseball, it's the all-star game that determines it. Uh, it's not necessarily the, the individual team's records. And I think that there's some acknowledgement of there's just a difference. And and sure, you can look at basketball where it is record-based, but I, I think that it's not like all sports always do it that way. Um, and I think that there's good reason for that. It's not necessarily just you should automatically get this advantage just because you happen to, to win more ballots than the other best team in the other division. Um, I think that there are just too many other variables going into it. I like the coin flip. I think it provides a little bit of added excitement and and uh, just kind of a I, – I like the randomness to it, to be frank. I think it kind of makes it interesting and like, oh, you know, are you going to, you know, win the coin flip or not? And I also don't really think that any team should be that affected by it. I just – I think that if you're – if you're so much stronger on one side than the uh, over the other, that this is a huge advantage to get to choose. I think you did something wrong. And I think that you guys showed you lost the coin flip and you guys still won. Like it shouldn't matter. And I think that it's just a fun, exciting thing that they, that they do. I don't think that your, your record should determine it. I think it's fun the way it is. And I, I'm, I, I'm, I actually am a little disappointed that they're changing it. I guess I kind of buy some of that. Um, I, no, I, I actually, I think you actually make some fair points. I think that, 
I, I think honestly, my solution would be if, if, and obviously this passed, so this is what's gone into effect. But if this wasn't going to be the case, my solution would be like, just nobody gets to call the coin flip. Like it's just a regular coin flip. Cause that's mm. the part that feels silly to me. It's like calling a coin flip is not a benefit. <laughs> you know, like there's yeah. no, it's, it's 50, 50. The coin doesn't know who called the coin flip. Um, I guess it's sort of like, like you said, kind of the drama, the whole thing. Um, I think, you know, what's funny is I think in person, it's actually more of a tangible benefit because mm-hmm. you get to be the team that goes up to the microphone and is like, we choose heads or, you know, whatever, yeah, like, right. which is, there's, that's kind of a cool <laughs> drama moment, which on zoom is, you know, maybe a little bit, a little bit less that way. But I, I kind of see what you're saying, I, you know, in a year like this one, where there was a pretty intense side bias, that's the one thing for me is it's like, okay, sure. if we won more ballots, maybe we should be the team that gets to choose the side and, and consider that. But there's, there's a decent counter argument to, to make to that as well, that, that you made that essentially, if these are supposedly the two best teams, they should be able to win on, on both sides of the case. So either way, I thought it was an interesting uh, debate. I didn't really speak at all at the board meeting, but this is the closest I came to speaking <laughs> uh, to being sort of like, hey, like, you know, as the only person in the room who's really dealt with this issue extremely recently, um, you know, I have thoughts on it. But I'll I'll wrap up my thoughts on the board meeting by saying this. Uh, I mentioned this earlier when we were kind of getting into this segment, but it was this was really the first like in-person AMTA type thing that I've done since March of 2020. I think that pretty much any of these people have done since March of 2020. And it was really nice. Um, it was it was great to be there uh, with so many folks that I like and respect and really enjoy getting to talk to. And I just think that while there's a lot of questions about what this fall is going to look like, it really reminded me of uh, sort of the core of this community and, and the people who are involved in this community and how great it is. So I really, really hope that this means there's going to be tab rooms this fall where we can all be there. And, you know, whether it's at Black Squirrel or Charm City or any of these other tournaments, that things progress in a way where uh, fall in-person tournaments are possible to the extent that that can be done, you know, safely and fairly. But that's kind of my last thought on it, Drew. Anything else uh, related to the board meeting before we wrap this thing up? Well, I'm glad that you gave uh, both of our programs that quick shout out of our invites. Um, I think that that's kind of where a lot of people's attention is at right now, of where they're going to be sending teams to and what they're going to be doing for that. How invites are going to look is, you know, a huge topic of discussion. I know that we've discussed it so much. I'm definitely excited to talk about the case in the next coming week. And uh, I guess the last thing I'll just say is I can't believe that you would ever choose heads. I mean, come on, tails never fails. I not only is all of that a blur, but like <laughs> I, I don't have a clue. I'm sure we discussed it. I hope we discussed it. But how we made that decision, I honest God, you could probably give me a hundred hours and I would never be able to remember. <laughs> I, I, I really don't know. But as you mentioned, I think it worked out okay in the end. So, as always, we appreciate everybody listening. Uh, we'll have this episode out, and then pretty soon after that, we'll have our case release episode, because by the time you're listening to this episode, it'll probably be barely a week before we get the new case, uh, and that is so exciting. We are going to get uh, the case. I think this is, what, the fourth year that we've been doing this podcast when the case has been released, which is kind of crazy uh, to say out loud, but look, everything is awesome during the season, but I'm not sure there's a more <laughs> exciting day than case release day. Oh, definitely not. 
So thank you everybody so much for listening. It's always a pleasure to be with you. We'll be back in your feed very soon to break down that case once it's been released. Until then, this has been The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. 